This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios in South Central Alaska, USA. Live and local, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on KVNT, 1020 a.m. and 92.5 FM. Your best source for morning news, traffic, and weather. Streaming live online at TomAndersonShow.com. Phone lines are open. Dial 907-357-5868. That's 357-5868. Politics and news from a guy who's made it happen. Your morning drive just got a whole lot better. Good morning, America. Here's Tom Anderson. Good morning, South Central, and uh, all the podcasters out there. And uh, To repeat that, if uh, you want to go uh, share this after the show, uh, you can share it right now and go to the Tom Anderson Show, and it has a live button, and then they also has a link to the podcast as they uh, get, they'll come out a couple hours after the uh, the show's over every day, and you can go back and listen to past podcasts as well. And uh, we always like talking about the weather, in case you haven't heard, because you know this is a morning show, and people are driving, if you didn't get a chance to check it out yourself, <clears throat> well, it's going to snow tomorrow. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> I think I almost put my shovels away. That was dumb. You look at them funny, and it's going to snow, right? That's what's happening. And uh, then it's going to get uh, cold later this week. So, But today we get a break, partly cloudy from the mess we had with the high winds and the glazing over and everything. So I hope nobody fell. There were a lot of accidents yesterday morning. It was uh, quite the circus of spinning and upside-downy cars, uh, bumper cars. It was uh, a sight to behold. So... Uh, we uh, we're we're here today, and uh, Ken and Ken, and and uh, of course the late great Tom Anderson, it, it was his show, and I wanted to speak about that briefly. Uh, the flags were half mast, and I thought about him every time he walked past the flagpoles. Uh, it uh, it was you know it's it's poignant you know to to be able to have that to have the uh, flag lowered. <clears throat> I think it's. Uh, I don't know, Ken. When you when you were a kid and you saw those, it didn't mean much to you. But as time goes by and you get older, it's a it's a bit takes a lot more to heart, doesn't it? What it you takes know, I've always kind of been Americana at heart. Anything yeah. traditional for for me, I, I always thought it was great. Honestly, showing respect to those who've done so much, whether you agree with them or not, um, man, that that's just that's the heart and essence of what America is to me. Yeah, you know? respect is a big deal. Yeah, so you know, and look, I'll be honest. There's a lot of times Tom and I didn't agree. But he always gave me a platform, and I always thought that was great. Well, that's a huge thing is the platform, yeah. isn't it? it, because it, it, it you know, when you look at, not to dwell on it, on it too much, uh, I think in one of the news, the stories in the news is Soros buying half the radio shows. Yeah, right. Or half the radio um, stations. The radio stations, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's his intentions there? What do you think? And coming into the election, yeah, I, I think anyone could guess that one, right? Mm. He just bought a bunch of Hispanic stations all last year, too, you know? Man. That's going to be something. There's no motivations there. Well, what would you like to kick off with today, guy? What, you know. Well, let's uh, – let, did, you, did you hear the uh, interview that Tucker Carlson was giving? And, and somewhere in the interview, he was talking about uh, where he went to McDonald's in Russia. Did you see that? I did. Oh, yeah. and you know, you and I have been watching videos from around the world on economy and stuff. Yeah, that was cool. a start. Very interesting. He went out there and he bought a whole meal. You know, I think he bought two burgers, fries, drinks, the whole works. And and it was uh, six thousand nine hundred rubles, which works out to be about seven dollars twenty cents American, which I thought was 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 funny, given that I was talking to my wife the other day, and she went in and bought basically the same stuff at Wendy's out here in Alaska and spent about twenty eight bucks American. So he goes to Russia and buys it, a, a supposed war torn country, in economic freefall, 
and you can spend $7 American to get the same thing that cost Americans 25 to $28. I mean, is that unreal? Well, we're going to have people vitriolic say, we'll go move to Russia. That's not the point we're talking about. We're talking about the uh, economics, and it has nothing to do with your politics at that point. It depends on what you have to buy. And, you know, of course, their wages uh, are a lot lower over there. Their GDP, one of the things that they do, you will not hear on the news agencies uh, here with everything that's gone with this administration. What we've seen uh, happen in the past year, Russia's GDP to debt ratio is 17% falling. They may come out of the Ukrainian war with no debt right. against their GDP. That means they're free. And we have climbed to over 130% and rising. Yeah. What an offset, right? What an offset. I think people have to well, – I think it shows two things that's really important to look at. One, I think it, it really – you should push past the mainstream narrative. Narratives are designed to make you think a certain way, to move your money a certain way, to live your life a certain way. Uh, I think it shows also globally – and this is how I look at the market – uh, is in global offsets, you know, where you see money shifting from one country to another, one currency to another. There's only so much money in the world, and and yeah, they can print and dilute, but generally, what I see them doing is moving it from place to place, you know, uh, stealing value from one country to another. And uh, it's it's interesting to think that they're in that we're in such a bad financial position. They're in such a good financial position, and somehow they're the boogeyman. I'm not saying they're good or bad. I'm saying that's the narrative, you know, and that's what we use. That's economic warfare right there. We use that all the time. Well, how in the world do you think we could ever get our debt ratio down at this point? Is that just oh, some man. fairy tale? Like almost like wind farms are good, you know? Is it a fairy tale? Yeah, it, it could very well be a fairy tale because, you know, like we said in the last show, World War II, we were able to stop the war, stop the spending. Um, and put people to work. And put people to work. But But here we have – it's almost impossible to stop the spending because every time you try to, someone cries about their entitled right to some sort of program or monies the, on the taxpayer's dollar. You know, oh my God, this guy's going to starve to death. Oh, this group of people are going to freeze to death. Or, you know, and that's all over. It's like every corner of the empire, that's what you see. Yeah. Especially in Alaska. You see it a lot here. We're, we're almost the kings of it. Right? Yeah, we talked about this briefly last time. Uh, and one of the things that we fundamentally to pull us out of the debt to GDP thing was putting people to work. And then when you put people to work, they have money, they need and buy stuff. And, and that goes against the government mandate of, of doing any food security or anything like that, because you don't need a government to come give people uh, food when it's for sale. People will do it on their own accord. And that's that's the freedom of the free market. Yep. And, I, and I don't see in this state putting people to work. What I what I saw the senator, uh, Senator Sullivan talking about in front of the House. I don't think we're going to go into that, but that's where. Everybody was cheering all the federal programs and all the federal defense spending up here. Well, that's not GDP. Uh, it has nothing to do with making things that someone else wants to buy. And there's no money flow that you're creating there. And see, when you have a GDP and your debt ratio, what we talk about, that's your debt against the sweat of your brow where you're going to actually produce something someone wants to buy. And that has nothing to do with anything that the senator said. And when he talked about the jobs up there at Willow. I think 15% of those are Alaskans, for the most part, is flying people. So while, yeah, it is a good thing. I mean, you to 15%, you got a couple hundred people there. But mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of Alaska's population, it's not a 
a gigantic thing. I mean, what you say the other day was really funny. You said that once you uh, build a pig trough, it's kind of hard to take down. And in the example you were given was the gasoline tax and the alcohol tax in Anchorage. That's never going to go away. It's going to mm, be there no. forever. You know, and, and and man, building those troughs—that's that's kind of the name of the game now. And and all that money isn't doing anything. It's not making any products. It's just literally being shifted from the private sector and redistributed to uh, government programs. You know, it's it's amazing. Anyway, uh, I want you to stick with us. We'll be right back. is the Tom Anderson Show. Broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Thanks. We're back. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Ken and Ken here. And uh, when we left, I was going going uh, into this ideology about the middle class. Look, the middle class is, is, in my opinion, the most hated class by government because the middle class is the gatekeeper class. We're the class that's least dependent on government, the most productive, and so therefore we want to retain the most of our money and the most of our rights. And so the middle class is is the one area that the government's always trying to chip away at. And that's because we don't need handouts from the government, the middle class. We're workers. We work. We're truck drivers. We're plumbers. We're heating techs. We're computer techs. We're programmers. We're the people out there producing and creating the actual GDP, the gross domestic product that we talk about. That's us, the middle class. I'm in the middle class. Most of the people I know are in the middle class. The the people that are, are on any sort of entitlement programs are getting that from the wealthy. The wealthy are independent. They don't need government. The middle class doesn't need government, but the middle class is the one standing out there saying, hey, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. That's against the law. Show me your evidence. That's why they don't like us because we're the ones standing in the way and we're the least dependent on them. And that is an important factor when you think about narratives. That's really a crucial aspect of what happens in this country for us as we see the narratives they produce in the media, the news, radio, trying to sway your decision on who you vote for and what you do. I mean, there's there's still honest to God people out there supporting Biden. I have no idea how that's even capable. I've got people all the time emailing me saying, oh, he's done great for the economy. He's got a ton of moral and ethic values. It's just amazing that people fall into that stuff. But I think the average hardworking everyday citizen, they're the ones out there, the middle class, they're the ones out there feeling that $31 meal. So when, when you said the middle class for uh, the GDP, how does that fit with what we've seen from the state administration, our senators and everything else like that? Because I don't feel like our our uh, middle class, as, as it serves uh, the process, is doing anything for GDP here because we don't we're not we don't have manufacturing. We don't sell anything. We don't make anything. Yeah, again, you know, I just Alaska is such a weird place because we're so separated. We're separated in the aspect that we have. I don't see Alaska as a state. 
I don't. I, I see it as a federal enclave in the aspect that, that the state is more of uh, a corporation trying to protect itself and grow, you know, but the growth of the state to me, I don't see how that benefits the citizens. Yeah. And that's kind of where the big separate, when I look at all the bills that come down out of Juneau, when I hear senators from our state or uh, from the federal government that are supposed to uh, represent us, when I hear them talking in the public arena, I'm always asking two questions. Who are you representing right now? Are you representing the private sector, the people that are actually the ones out there building, or are you representing uh, the corporation of Alaska? Because as far as I can tell, the corporation of Alaska is bloated. It's this swollen, bloated cow floating down the river, consuming everything. It's contaminating everything. And um, I'm, I'm not, uh, I want to be very clear, I'm not anti-government. I, I totally believe that there's a great place for government. I think the Romans had a great saying, and that is, there can be no freedom without law. Because without that, you have anarchy, without yeah. law, without structuredized law. And I, and I totally love I totally love that. I'm, I'm into it. But I don't think that I should, as a citizen coming from the private sector, I don't think that I should be a productive source of energy for state corporate growth. I don't think that that's what I'm, that's the, and I feel like nowadays what the government's doing is using the citizen as a productive source of energy for its own growth in an effort to be independent of the citizen's control. And I think that's a dangerous ideology. I really do believe, look, countries are destroyed over decades. Banking systems are destroyed over decades because they, they warm you up to this idea. Think about what's something that's outside of economics. Think about um, privacy. You know, we're all just, we all joke now about our phones listening to us and they do. Yeah, and it's hilarious. a joke. Yeah, but <laughs> it's not weird. a joke, right? Yeah, like no, we're just no. so desensitized <laughs> to it, right? And, and that's the example I'm talking about where things are destroyed over decades. Your privacy has been destroyed over the last 50, 60 years. Yeah. Now you're just used to being in, in an area where there is no privacy. Maybe that's just the best way to say it. And, and I think serfdom is, you know, the government's job is to make serfdom like a warm bath that you want to slip into. Yeah. You know, that's, Well, let's look at the yesterday. It's uh, celebrated that we now have uh, an ongoing additional uh, expense for education and instead of reallocating and readjusting and doing things differently with the money they had the the answer was to give it more money and uh, i don't know how big that can get and how much it, because you had a declining number of students enrolled with a very poor performance in 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 industry what you would do is not feed a problem but here we have the propensity to uh like the the homeless uh, industrial complex, and now we have the edu uh, the ed educational industrial complex, and it it grows for its own own self right there. And then when it when it did poorly, they use that as a stick to tell us we needed to spend more money. I mean, that's that pig trough you're talking about, right? That's that's a really live example of the pig trough. And tell you you don't care about your kids if you don't want to give us more money. So no, you didn't do a care enough to get the kids. You didn't do a good job. I mean, <laughs> you hear you hear people throw out these classic phrases all the time. Yeah. We hear it all the time, but we don't know exactly what it means. And it's good when you can correlate the example of redistribution. Look, there's only one pool of money in this country, and that's the consumer, the taxpayer. It's kind of one and the same. All the money originates from that source, and it has to be redistributed in some manner. So when you don't want to give your money up, the government has to come get it Yeah, somehow, we've got right? a messed up thing here, you know, with all the uh, royalties it's, it's afforded a... Uh a mass psychosis of sort to be very comfortable in excess spending because it didn't it didn't hurt people directly and then when it started and it took the p when it took the the permanent fund distribution uh it, that, that was a tax right there and and you know a lot of people feel it's unjust because it takes it uh, away from people equally 
But even at that point, when we have some of the folks that talk about wanting income tax and sales tax, they'll think, well, if they do that, then you'll have that. De- I've heard the, like, was it Brian uh, just talks about the Damocles sword? Well, that'll make people do the right thing. No, it won't. You just stole $25,000 from each and every Alaskan over the past, uh, within eight, what, seven, eight years now, it's growing. That's, that's become an income tax, by the way, that you can't claim a return on yeah. or file any deductions on. They yeah. just took it. Nope. They can't. And so if you do that to that, all these people and they still don't go out and vote, and they have said across the board, if you took a uh, poll, uh, uh, every, uh, just do a poll on the, on the poll when people go in and vote, do you want your full PFD? What do you think the percentage would be? 90, 90, 98%. Some high percentage like that. And what yeah. do they not do? Well, you know, they, and they don't do it, but I can't remember the representative I heard on the radio say, why would I give the people, somebody asked him, why don't you put that on the ballot? And he said, why would I give the people that power? They elected me to make that decision. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's, that's the whole ideology of the corporation saying, I, I listen, I need to grow and you're the only source of revenue I have because there's what? No genuine GDP. It's all servant class out here. And I think yeah. uh, service, not servant, service yeah, class. Serv- and, same thing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, and I mean, listen, this is kind of a, a little bit about uh, Rick Whitbeck wrote about this not too long ago when he was talking about how there's there's literally been a gradual mass exodus of Alaska since 2016. You may not know what's going on in the economy, but you can certainly feel it in your gut, in your wallet, in your home life, the quality of life. You can feel it right then and there. You don't know how to pinpoint it, but you can feel it, and that's why people are leaving. People- well, we're, we're in, and where are all the old people here? We're, they, they, they leave because they have to. Yeah, because you can't afford to stay here. Yeah. You can't afford it. I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever retire in Alaska because I don't. I think the economic winds shift too quickly here, and because we don't really have a thriving economy, mm-hmm. you're a victim at that point. And sometimes you can get to this point financially where you're kind of stuck. You can't pay the 20, 30 grand it takes to move to another economy. Most migration happens economically. Most people don't leave because they hate their family or their culture. They leave because economically the government's destroying the place you live in. Well, there's the other aspect too. And, and folks, I'd, I'd like to hear anybody that has experience with this. What does, uh, where do people's kids go? Yeah, right. What, what, are the, what is here for them? And, and I can tell you now that when I have conversations about moving out of Alaska sometimes, the one thing that we're always considering is where's the best economic opportunity for our children? Where are they going to have the the most opportunity just in general? You know, and, and man, I, I can't stress that enough. We've been losing. GDP has been down for a very long time in Alaska, and the population has been decreasing since 2016. That's a huge deal. We're on record for having losing losing citizens for a decade. You know, one thing that has grown, uh, and I don't have the figures at hand, is the uh, number of state and federal employees in the state. Yeah. Does it sound like the state is using the money that they're redistributing from the private sector responsibly? That's a question everybody should ask themselves. Yeah. You know, when I drive, uh, we go to visit people down in Arizona. Uh, uh, you'll drive past. They're putting up a new, um, is it a chip manufacturing facility? Yeah, right. right. And they, I think there are over 36 of these monstrous tall cranes out there swinging steel and concrete. It's amazing. And then what else you see right there at building at the same time are humongous apartment combo, condo complexes and, and the developers are going crazy down there. Now, if all of a sudden that they don't need uh, chips, I guess that could fold. But I don't see that happening to you. No, it's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> No, and, and they have they have a genuine product that's being built, genuine investment that's going. So what you see is actual velocity of currency there. You see it moving back and forth. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people think that if we don't print money every year or we don't expand the money supply every year, that somehow we can't pay for everything. And that's totally untrue. Money just needs to move in a circle from point A to point B. We just need genuine velocity. So uh, I, I think this ideology that government needs to continually expand and continually print money is a huge falsity laid upon the feet of the taxpayer. And all it is is a destructive policy. In, in my opinion, it's more an old policy from France, the, the real politique, the raison d'etat, the, the idea that the state has the might, so the state has the right, no matter the cost to the citizen. And that's a dead analogy, and I don't think that this is what America was designed to do. I've heard uh, I've heard a, a legislator quoted that said that uh, the the citizens we are the special interest in this deal in Alaska now. Have you heard that? Yeah. 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 And I think that's what we're right down to, guy. Well, uh, we'll see you back, and uh, we'll see you at the, at the end of the half hour. Thank you for joining the. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Hi, folks. Uh, this is Ken and Ken on the Tom Anderson Show, the Cracker Barrel in the, of the South Central Alaska. And uh, we're having a pretty good day here be, be, before it snows again tomorrow. And if you'd like to call in, the number is 907 357 5868. And we talk about state matters, and we, you know, our our little harbinger for the most part because it matters to everything we do is energy and we talk about finance and we talk about civics and uh speaking of energy we have a caller call in and uh uh rick where you at what are you doing buddy hey everybody it's uh rick Whitbeck, host of the power of the future energy hour here on kvnc on tuesday nights and uh right now i'm back in uh, national harbor maryland at the uh 2024 cpac cc event oh i'm jealous i'm jealous Tell us about some of the awesome. folks you're, awesome. you're, you're, you're bumping elbows there. So, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's my first time here, and it's Power of the Future's first time. So I didn't really know what to expect other than just a whole bunch of patriots, a whole bunch of people here to celebrate freedom and, <clears throat> you know, some of, the, some of the things that make America great, including, of course, energy security, energy freedom, energy independence, and things that we're going to try to do as a, as a nation to get us back to where we were under the, the last days of President Trump. And I'll tell you, man, it's, it's been great conversations. I've met some congressional candidates. Uh, I've met some um, sitting congressmen, had a couple of other interviews with uh, people in, in Yuma, Arizona, uh, their morning show, uh, Mammoth Nation. We've talked with uh, the Newsmax people. I've talked with NTD News. And, and of course, you know, my friends, Ken and Ken here on the Tom Anderson show, um, but you know, I just uh, I just had about a couple minutes with Mike Lindell. Uh, I've talked with uh, David Clement, who's one of the uh, biggest election integrity experts here in the nation. He's literally right across the, the exhibit hall from me, and so he and I have had some good conversations. Got some pictures with him. I'll tell you what, man, he's a rock star when it comes to election integrity and and uh, and and the like. What's his uh, prognostic? What's his pro- prognostication briefly on on how that's going? His efforts. Uh, he's he's doing everything he can to stop the steal here in twenty twenty four. And oh my uh, gosh, know, he, what a mountain! It, it, it's a, it's a it's a big lift, right? So yeah. we know that the left can't can't even envision what it would be like in their world uh, with President Trump returning to the White House, and so they're going to do everything that they can to beat him, you know, by any means necessary. Right. So, um, 
I've met some families of uh, J6 prisoners. Uh, I've met you know, just a, a lot of really cool energy people. Tim Stewart with the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, who will be my guest on the Power of the Future Energy Hour here in like two weeks. Um, he's, a head, like I said, the head of USOGA and, and an absolute amazing guy. I've heard some incredible speakers. Uh, I heard Dr. Ben Carson yesterday, Tulsi Gabbard, um, Byron Donald, who's endorsed Nick Begich. Uh, tonight is the, is the Reagan dinner, which I am not actually going to go attend. Oh, but man. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy is, uh, is the keynote speaker there. And oh, that'll so, be interesting. Yeah, you know, he's going he's gonna to come in and talk about everything that's important to, to America, including energy dominance, energy security. So, you know, the conversations have been great. Um, again, our first time here from a Power of the Future standpoint. Last year, Daniel Turner, my boss, spoke on a panel here. But it's you know my it's our first time having an exhibit and just engaging with the CPAC um, attendees and having some great great conversations. But it'll be nice to be back in uh, in Anchorage and back on my show and back in you know the in the back in the realm of, of people who uh, are not swampy and and, and back and back with that precious uh, uh, boy you got I bet he misses oh, dad yeah I mean, yeah. yeah he does miss dad he's uh, he's. <laughs> had two half days and two full days off this week. So my wife is a more of a saint than normal. Um, she's had basically three days of Colby with her, which I mean, is a, is a blessing, but he's high energy guys. You know, yeah. anytime that you get a, a kid for three days out of five, um, my wife is a rock star. So well, wife doesn't like putting up with, up with us that much. <laughs> I mean, she has to put up with me seven days. Yeah, 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 no. me, but she gets more Colby. So, so I want to ask you a question uh, off what you said, guy. This yeah. is, I just can't, I got to jump back in because the time's so brief with it, with you is precious time. Sure. When you said one thing, you got my ear uh, standing up like a Doberman pincher here. What would you see the turnaround for our energy? And, and I'll, I'll add uh, an adjoiner before I ask that question to turn away from the whole Green New Deal and the, uh, the IRA manipulation and all that pile of money that's pushing things towards the Greta Thunberg world. What do, what do you see? What do you? How can we not do all of this locally and well, I think federally? That, I, think, I think number one, federally, we just have to get back to um, you know, get back to a states are allowed to produce their own energy opportunities uh you know the the weaponization of the epa the weaponization of the army corps the weaponization of um uh, you know the, the administrative state uh as we know alaska's had 57 administrative and executive orders targeting our resource world since biden took its oath of office and you know he's basically laid waste to our state's energy opportunities so with a new president, we get that opportunity to, to reverse that and come back to it. And so, you know, at a state level, we need politicians who will be bold and um, work with the governor to bring about energy security. I mean, opening back up Cook uh, Inlet, figuring out a way to get the pipeline open between the slope, bringing more coal into market building out transmission lines that are effective to be able to take those traditional energy sources of coal and natural gas and distribute them across the rail belt and get rid of this whole BS narrative that we have to go green, that we have to go wind and solar. Because as we know, 
from just a few short weeks ago here in South Central Alaska, had it been up to wind and solar, guys, people would have frozen to death. And yeah, and you looked been- up some of those figures for us. What was happening with wind and solar uh, on our, our dastardly cold week that we had? Well, how, bad, how bad was that? Yeah, well, uh, solar was zero. So zero homes would have been electrified zero uh, in MEA or, or two gas world during that cold snap. And then uh, wind would have had the power generation for just under 800 homes throughout uh, Anchorage. So, so people, some people would have frozen homes. to death. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly natural gas would have continued to keep the heat on. But for those people who, with electric heat, for those people with, um, you know, who were trying to stay warm with space heaters and things like that, uh, if you only have 800 homes, 800 homes, guys, 800, choose the 800 homes in all the municipality of Anchorage, in all the Chugach service area that would have had power. Everything else was hydro, which was about 28,000 homes. And then the other 150,000 homes and businesses were there because of natural gas. God yeah. bless fossil fuels. Yeah, you go out, go out and hug that meter. I'm telling you, it's one of the most precious things that I happen to have in my property is that gas meter. And, you know, uh, hydro is not renewable. And the reason I say that. It, it is an infrastructure and it's standing kinetic energy infrastructure. And as far as renewable, the, the people that they, that are trying to push the renewable, uh, portfolio standard, they include it in their figures. And I know the MEA does it. And I think Chugash does it as well. And they say, Oh, we have so much percentage of renewable. Yet we're sitting in this battle where you have the same faction that trying to force you on to win a solar wants you to tear out all the dams. So no, you don't get to own it both. You can't. You can't say that that's part of your little percentage play. And we get renewables and tell me you want to tear it out. It's, it doesn't work that way for me. So well, it's the same ideology no, as net zero, right? They just want to say they're net zero. Exactly. They don't want to be net zero. They just want to say they are because it's it's a control about, feature. It's, it's all about control. It has nothing to do with the climate, especially Alaskans. You know, the full price they want us to pay full boat ride price. And I have an analogy like if we had a uh, they have a drinking driving problem. Uh, over in Connecticut, and they want us to all in Alaska to give up our cars, so there's not a drink, drunk driving problem. It's like, no, we don't produce a lot of emissions, so we shouldn't have to mess our whole infrastructure up trying to cure something. And they don't even know to what effect, if we got rid of everything that burned fossil fuel in Alaska, what would we do to the climate? Well, and that's the, that's actually how we're acting like, that we have to force our infrastructure over on these mandates. And mandates, that's yeah. fascism, friends. 100 percent mandates mandates uh over markets are exactly the wrong way to grow any uh reliable efficient price competitive uh solution in anything in yeah. energy in transportation you know mandating a solution is not the way to go it's, well, it's absolutely disgusting what they're what they're trying to do with the the agenda here in the state and across the nation to to go green and go green obviously in quotes well, I mean, this is kind of what you're writing about, Rick, right? And it, you're saying it is a more expensive, lower standard of life. I mean, that's it yep. in a nutshell right there. And what does that cause? Causes people to leave the state, which is a domino effect on our economy. That's exactly what your last article was about, which I thought was so brilliantly put, in my opinion. Hey, and bless you, buddy, man. Have a Thank safe you. trip home, uh, and uh, we'll be thinking about you you get back up here and get cold again, again with Sounds us. Good. Yeah, Donald, Donald J. Trump tomorrow at 1 o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock in the morning on, on in Anchorage. Say hi to Dan. To Say hi to Dan for us. Yeah, sure I will. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.
Is the Tom Anderson Show broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, seven to nine a.m. Monday through Friday? Good morning. Thanks for coming back. We're going to jump right back in, and I'm glad that Rick called us and we got in a good conversation with him. He's always on the cutting edge of energy policy in the state, and 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 I can certainly say I'm jealous that he's down at CPAC. That'd be a great place to hear some of these great leaders of freedom giving some of these great speeches. You know. Somebody said to me, or, or I'm sorry, I read in an article the other day, um, a, a gentleman was t- from Australia was saying, I challenge all these who are pushing the use of renewables to prove their case. And, and I think that's a really interesting, a really interesting perspective because if, if anything, is, is the ideology behind net zero or global warming, which has at this point been basically defunct, is, is it not the backbone of why we're supposed to be doing all this? I, I'm talking to legislatures in Alaska. Now they're saying, no, we recognize there's no climate crisis. Then what's the point of it all? What's the point of destroying the economy? What's the whole point of the carbon narrative which produces nothing and only grows the state? What's the point in that if we're not going to have any headway? Why are we not producing more energy? Why do we have to only produce energy if we sequester? Who's leading that thought? And I think that's a real big, huge discussion. I thought that was a brilliant point that he made um, because what what if the people don't want this? Yeah, what's is the it, requirement for that? Isn't that always that the we question? we have to stick to in the state? If we were going to have an administrative order, why couldn't we say we could build four small coal plants right now to alleviate the load on the gas system without carbon sequestration? I mean, it goes into what Tucker Carlson said not too long ago. Look, what if the people don't want this? I don't hear a large body of people asking for carbon sequestration that don't want to profit from it. Citizens, right, that are going to foot the bill. We know the carbon ideology, to keep it simple and clean and not go too far into it, is going to be an increase in the cost of production. So it's going to cost everyone more money. No one's asking for it. Why are the legislators pushing it? Who's pushing them? I, I always ask the question, who do they represent? It's only going to grow the state. So for me... Honestly, I, I really think I really think it's it's a it's a a narrative that has nothing to do with what the people want, and it's increasingly apparent that the government in general isn't interested, and nor are they asking for your permission. They're not interested in what you think, nor are they asking you for that. Uh, and I think that's that's a terrible place to be when it comes to energy production, which is crucial to Alaska and 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 her long term economics as a viable place to live out in the outer reaches or edge of the empire that we live well, in now. And, you know, when you say the tax, the carbon tax, it is a way to grift money. And when you saw the likes of Santos telling our legislature about uh, carbon revenues from the federal dollar pouring in, and where would that go? It's going to go to a company that is not – it's not going to go to Alaskans. And we don't get – like you said, we don't get anything for it. And the problem is when you play carbon, uh, you get carbon control. You get – uh, they, they get to weaponize that control anything you do because it, everything you do has carbon function in it. So they can tax you and fee you and control what they want to control with it to become a control feature, not so much just to get the revenue stream. I think we, uh, we have a caller on. Is that correct? Yeah, we've got a caller. This is Super D. What's going on? What's going on, Mr. Dalton? How you doing today? Hey, Ken and Ken, they my buddies. Look here, everybody on this radio station knows we're being depopulated. They're not going to give you power, right? 
How long did I sit on this station? How many years did I tell y'all Russia was turning into heaven and, and America was be, being turned into a, a crap hole? I can't believe this happened. We had Dan Fagan and Amy lie to this state for how many years? I screamed it. I got laughed at. I got thrown off. How many years did these drop shots lie to us? I mean, they just, I, I couldn't believe it. We had all the goods. We had everything, documentation, and they laughed. And, and listen, the power, what's the power got to do with something when we're being depopulated? You ain't getting power if they're depopulating you. And y'all, that's what's happening. Until you stop these people, until you literally kill these people, none of this is going to stop. We need a war. Well, because all I, we do is keep saying, watch this, watch this, Ken. All, all we right, do is right. keep saying, we need to, we need to, we need to, blah, blah, blah. And it, it gets nowhere. Until you crack one of these little wimps in the mouth, blue-haired, skinny-armed wimps in the mouth, none of this is going to stop. So, listen, we can talk about power till the, till the cows come home. Um, until we kill the, the real entity here. It's never going to stop. So, what do y'all think about all that? Well, I, 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 I'll weigh in first. And I'll let, I'll let uh, Ken go. I, I have, I haven't. Uh, I think I have a hard time believing people that can't even go to the voting booth would ever arise to the point where you're talking about of any physical nature. If if they're so lazy, they can't go in there and scribble a little pen and a little dot. I don't see who you're who. What imaginary people that can't do that would ever come uh, arise to be a, a physical force of nature and actually do anything uh, of a mil- uh, militant nature? So I, I hear you, and, and I know I we're that desperate, I, I but I just don't think it's a reality. And I want to talk reality, what, what we would beg people to do. Oh, let's, try the, to. let's try the first step yeah, first. If to. I saw if I saw 95% of the people going out there voting and we're still getting tromped on like this, I'll, maybe I'll join you across that Rubicon of getting uh, physical, but I can't even see him getting out of bed or leaving Netflix long enough to go scribble a piece of pen on a piece of paper. So there's where I stand yeah, on we, this. What do you got, Ken? Yeah. Well, look, here's what I think. I think the one thing that's always made America great is the ideology that the country's not ruled by a strong man. I, I definitely agree in defending yourself. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe in a military. But I think that what's made America great in a, long, in a lot of ways is the idea that even the most skinniest malnutrition guy with a great education can still own a $300 million house and have a say in his country. So I, I, I think what you're really talking about, in my opinion, or the way I'm reading what you're saying is, uh, it, it always comes back to when's it going to be bad enough to get more voters than 18%? Because I do think we could turn it around through checking a box. I just think people are disconnected and we got to have, you're never going to do anything in this country or this state for that matter. In this state, I think the last voter, uh, turnout was 18% for the governor, which should, if Man, you had I a 50 53 times, Ken. Yeah, I voted three times and they never counted it. Three times. Well, so, you know what? Don't, don't say that, Dalton. That's a that's an that's a, that's a, that is a criminal offense, son. Hey, Dalton. Dalton you know what? No, I mean I think you're just being facetious. But the thing is, is Dalton, look, you know what? The, voting is no, one of the no, most. No, I, no, I voted in three different elections. Oh, they okay. Never counted it. I got you. Why did they count it, Dalton? Why did they count it? Because I I don't know. They wouldn't tell me. They never tell me. Now I am a convict. Okay, I am mm-hmm. an ex-con. All mm-hmm. right, but. 
And, and, and by the way, before I get off of here, y'all, we got to bring this up. Google just wiped white people off the Internet. OK, now watch this. We knew this was coming. Here's the point. Here's the big here's the big elephant in the room. If brown and black people would have accomplished something, they wouldn't have had to lie about it. Think about that. Well, don't listen. I'm going to I'm going to close out with this thought. And I, and I appreciate you calling today. I really do. I mean, that. I mean it means a lot. Uh, here's the thing. Y'all need to take Amy out, man. Take that girl down. <laughs> I appreciate that for sure. <laughs> you listen, the, the, the idea that people aren't voting, they're not participating in the active construction of a country that's supposed to be self-governing, that's a problem in and of itself. You want to see real change in this country? You got to ask yourself, and I'm only talking to those who refuse to go check the box because they're too busy. You got to ask yourself, how bad not, does I'm it have voting. to get? I'm not voting. I'm How bad? Th- well, my question is, that's not my question. My question is, I'm talking, I'm talking to the people who refuse to vote or think it's too big bu- they're too busy to vote. So how bad does it have to get for you and your family and your wallet to start making real honest to God changes and start participating? Because frankly, if you want to live in America, the idea behind America is individual sovereignty. You can't have that if you don't participate in the construction, the active construction of your own community, starting at a community level all the way up to a federal level. I know that the federal government likes to ignore people, conglomerize and push towards fascism. That's clear. Okay, but again, uh, I think Ayn Rand said it really well the other day. Uh, I was listening to her and she said that a large group of people without an ideology is just waiting for someone to come take them over. That's the majority of the people that aren't voting. We had an 18% voter turnout for the governor. The fact is there's a vacuum that's being created by the government, in my personal opinion, at the citizen level. And if, if we don't start participating, if we don't start getting into what's destroying us and start taking an active participation role the same way mothers and fathers do in their own families, then we're never going to make it. So Dalton's question uh, or comment is relevant, and, and I'm going to throw it right back at everybody out there. If you can hear my voice, I'm going to ask you, and I'm talking to you if you're not voting. What's it going to take? How bad does it have to get? for you to take an active participation in the creation of your country. This is a self-governing country. And, you know, it reminded me when I went to the last co-op meeting, there was no one else there. And uh, they even say that. And people don't, uh, for the most part, don't engage with the legislature. And I know it's harder that they're down there, but there's many tools on there where you can give comments, you can email, you can call them, and people need to do that. And people need to show up their co-op board meetings. They really do, and they need to vote. Four. But the legislature do, does need to create an environment where there's more involvement. I need more than three minutes just to complain to you and then have you go to Juno and do what you want. Exactly. So yeah. stay right back. We'll be, I mean, stay here with us. We'll be right back. Thank you, everybody. is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Good morning, South Central Alaska. We've got uh, Ken and Ken on the, the late, great Tom Anderson Show, and we observed uh, remembrance of him. We saw the flags at half-mast, and if you want to know why that, that was and is, is because of him, uh, his service. and So... Uh, we're having a good day here and uh, for the weather report for everybody because this is a morning drive-in. If people haven't had time to see, 
It's supposed, it's supposed to snow tomorrow. Today's a nice partly cloudy day, and tomorrow across South Central, they, I see the varying reports of 100%, which always makes me chuckle because we have people wanting to change our entire infrastructure and economy based on some prognostications, and I'm lucky to get a good weather report two days out, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I mock that a little bit. Uh, I wanted to come off the last segment a little bit, folks. I want to say this is a personal note on air that I don't advocate physical violence. And Dalton, I got you, buddy. Uh, I see you got a heartfelt uh, feeling out there about it. And uh, I just, uh, I, I just can't advocate uh, physical nature when, uh, because when you do that, you invite it yourself. And, and I don't want to do that to anybody. That's it's not, I don't think it's appropriate, especially when people can't be bothered to vote. I'd like, if I, like I said, if I could see people turn out to vote, in great numbers, and we didn't get what we wanted to have. Uh, maybe you can go there, but I just assume not to have that um, out there that I advocate that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we do have a caller, and uh, his name is Dan Rogers, and he's running for uh, the Chugach board uh, for the co-op. And uh, good morning, Dan. We wanted to uh, have you on and, and let, let fill us on current events and, and what you guys stand for and what you'd like to accomplish. Well, thanks for having us on, Ken. I appreciate it. So my name is Dan Rogers, and I'm running for the Chugach board. Um, 50 year last, 50 year plus Alaska resident. My parents homesteaded in South Anchorage, Golden View, Rabbit Creek area. I grew up on that homestead. Um, went to junior high, high school in, in Anchorage at service. Uh, went to UAF in Fairbanks, got a couple engineering degrees, and I don't know, I picked up another one along the way. And uh, then went to work in the power industry in, in the mid-80s. So first job was putting in Chugach's first control system that basically controlled their operations from the Kenai up to, you know, up to Beluga and Anchorage and did that. Worked for Chugach for nine years and then um, started a couple companies, the latest of which was called Electric Power Systems, which was the largest electrical contractor and engineering company in the state for sure. And one of the largest specialty companies for power and energy in the Pacific Northwest even. So I've had a long career and I think successful career. And I think talk to most people that have worked with me and know me, they'd agree. So 40 years in the industry. So I kind of come at the board from, a, oh, and I sold my company a few years ago back to, back to the employees. So I'm completely divested and have been for about five years of any financial interest in in the company uh, that has done a bunch of work for Tugad. So long story short, um, I'm, I'm a little different because my background is power. I know how the system works. I've operated the system as a operations engineer in, this, in the dispatch center. I've designed and engineered the system. I've built substations and wired in relays. Um, so I, you know, I know what's going on there. I'm there because, quite frankly, I'm concerned about where the utilities in Alaska, not just Chugach, are going. Um, we need to, the, the cycle, the news cycle, as they say, on, on electrical generation and transmission facilities is long. It takes time to build this stuff. So if we're doing something today, we make a decision today to do something, it's going to take 10 or 15 years before you ever see that come to fruition. And that's, you know, there's a little bit of slot built in there for all the legal challenges and everything, but realistically, that's the way the thing works. So my concern and the reason I'm running for the board is I'm worried about our future up here and having 
not only cheap and affordable electrical energy, but really having reliable electric energy because we need to do something. Um, and it can't just all be non-firm intermittent power. You know, we need to have some good generation up here. So yeah, so it seems like the it seems like the uh, it seems like the, they they don't like like terms like capacity factor when they speak of these things, do they? Or or uh, uh, cost an, uh, analysis, do they? <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it, the problem is, and I you know I was it's kind of funny over the break I was listening to you guys, and one one of my taglines is I'm not really ideologically driven in this fight, but I guess in some ways I am. I'm driven by the ideology of common sense and what what works. Um. You know, I, I'm not, I'll be real honest with you guys. I'm not anti non-firm renewables like wind and solar. Um, a little bit of a divergent path here, but I, we also, my wife lived up here for 34 years and decided last year she was going to go live in Arizona. So we have a home in Arizona now. She has a home in Arizona and we have 12 PW solar on it. Solar is great in Arizona, man. I mean, I'm making 10 and a half percent on that energy. Um, on that ca- cash on cash on that investment. So it's wonderful down there. But at the same time, you can't fly over Arizona and see, you know, 50 or 100 sites where you could build a hydro plant. So it's it's kind of the right tool for the right job thing, right? And, and uh, Alaska needs to develop the resources it has um, so that we can provide our, our community with firm and stable power and cost-effective power. So uh, going into that a little bit, you know, you know, the current legislation on and I, I agree if something makes sense on a cost uh, analysis and a performance level, which means more here than almost anywhere in Alaska is keeping your 100 percent capability. What do you think of the new legislation? Did you see HB 368? Yeah, I actually uh, was at a board meeting at Chugach when they were discussing voting a resolution to support 368. And I, again, I, I keep saying I'm not an ideologue and every time I talk, I realize I am an ideologue, but a different kind. Um, I, I testified against uh, supporting HB 368 to 2 which they went, they then went ahead and supported anyway. But um, yeah, I have a problem with 368 for a couple reasons, but the main, the, the main philosophical one is I don't think the state should be in a position to limit utility planners options. I mean, there's utility engineers and utility planners and, and, you know, contractors and everybody else that participates in that, in that uh, function. They're pretty good at their jobs and they know how to look at things. They know how to look at things technically. They know how to look at things from a cost effectiveness perspective. They know how to look at things from how it integrates into the system perspective. And the state coming in, you know, quite frankly, a bunch of legislators, you know, who one day might be or hopefully would be talking about permanent fund dividends. And the next day they're talking about a balanced budget. And the third day they're talking about, you know, energy issues. They're, they're really not educated for it. And they really no. the acumen and expertise. Of yeah, the, the acumen right. and expertise isn't there like you. They're, they're not. It, and what part of mandates does, does and what part of mandates falls into what you're talking about, cost, anal, uh, you know, and everything? It doesn't. So. And they don't have enough time, right. you know, to make those type of clear, educated decisions. I think we saw that very clear in the carbon credit legislation. That was extremely clear. They had to have people like Santos come up and sell it to them who has a financial interest in it. That's a total conflict of interest. Those people don't belong up there. Well, thank you. And, no, I mean, and, 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 and we're, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go to the next uh, caller. And I sure to appreciate you guys. And please, everyone, please show up to vote and, and get Dan in there. 
He knows how this thing works, and we need him in there very, very badly. If, if you don't feel like you can make it, have some call somebody, get them to take you. I, I really important when you do the next uh, election for the board of uh, Chugach Electric. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Hey, and we are live. You're on with Ken and Ken. And we, before we rolled into the last, uh, we finished out the last segment, we had a, a guest, uh, Dan Rogers. And uh, Dan was talking to us about uh, his running for the Chugach board. And we didn't give you a chance to give out your information that uh, everyone so badly needs. Could you fill us back in, uh, Dan, before you leave us? Sure. Uh, name is Dan Rogers, um, Dan for Chugach board. And uh, our website is Vogue. ChugachStability.org, and there's a donation link on there as well. So, yeah, I mean, we and we'll take whatever we can get. This is, you know, we're up against some pretty big bucks because the Alaska Center and and uh, a few other people are are backing our opponents. But yeah, feel free get on there. Please come out and vote. We don't we don't need 18 percent on this election. I'd love to see 30 or 40 or more percent. Dan, I really appreciate your time and thanks for giving out your data. Hopefully, we get some time to talk to you again in the next couple of weeks. And I will all right, donate. Sounds good, guys. All we'll, right. we'll see you. Hey, you're all right. Thanks, man. <laughs> yep. And uh, we also have another uh, uh, candidate, actually, uh, Todd Lindley. And Todd and I'm going to self. Uh, I've been a friend of Todd for a long time, and uh, I just can't. Uh, I just grades me great joy to to uh, announce your candidacy here, guy. Uh, uh, welcome, welcome onto the show. Yeah, thank you guys. You're, you're too kind, Ken. <laughs> I uh, appreciate you and Ken giving some time this morning for Dan and I to come on and, and talk. Uh, so just like Dan, I'm running for the Chugach Electric Board. You can find a lot of information on the website, which is votechugachstability.org. So as Dan mentioned, we've got our profiles up there. It's linked to Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all that, and it's got the donate button. button. So feel free, go on there, check it out, contact us. We're going to be doing events like this uh, on the radio as well as around the community just so that way we can raise awareness to people. So if I can just give you a quick background on myself. So I'm Todd Lindley. Uh, I'm an engineer just like Dan, uh, although I'm, I think, the mechanical variety, whereas Dan is the electrical variety. So we got a good balance between us. Uh, my career has mainly been in oil and gas. Uh, I've worked onshore, offshore facilities in the United States as well as internationally, mainly focused on upstream production. Uh, so this is bringing wells online and working ways to be able to sell oil and gas and do it in a, uh, a safe and responsible manner. And then, you know, my day job here today is I work on the pipeline. So. A lot of projects from Prudhoe Bay to Valdez, making sure that we continue to deliver oil um, safely and to the customers uh, through the Valdez terminal. Three of the areas that I'd like to say is kind of my focus areas for running for the board is, you know, I shared the same concern with Dan. And I think some of the, the challenges that we have in front of us are related to fuel supply, decarbonization, and energy legislation. As you guys know and you're well aware, the last few months 
uh, Governor Dunleavy and many of the different groups around the state, including the South Central Mayor's Coalition, have put together activities to try to solve the Cook Inlet natural gas supply. Uh, as a utility, we get 82% of our fuel from natural gas. So this should be a main focus for the utility when we talk about long-term. But along with that, when you look at decarbonization, that particular goal is in conflict with anything that we do with natural gas supply. In what way? You can't have, in what way? Well, when you talk about decarbonization, a lot of where it goes is net zero. So this is reducing your emissions to meet some kind of a baseline. And when you reduce emissions, at some point, you're either going to have to install costly capital equipment to be able to scrub the emissions out of the air, or you're going to have to reduce or change your fuel supply. So 82% comes from natural gas. We're either going to have to install scrubbers or ammonia, or you go to hydro, wind, solar, any number of things to try to meet the decarbonization goals that Chugash Electric has, which is 35% carbon emission reduction by 2030. I don't know if that is a realistic goal or an achievable goal, and that's something that the ratepayer needs to understand very clearly because overnight as we start building this infrastructure, that is cost that's added on, and that's cost that will hit everybody's pocket every month. <laughs> and along with that, the energy legislation, uh, you guys talked about House Bill 368. There's probably a half a dozen other bills that are going through the legislature right now that will have a direct impact on the future and the operation of the utility that I don't think are in the best interest for long-term reliable and affordable energy. So that's kind of what I would say is my three focus areas and kind of why I'm running to, you know, like Dan, provide a common sense perspective on how to engineer some of these problems for reliability and affordability. So you, you believe that with the carbon narrative, uh, or the ideology of net zero policy that we will, I mean, as from an engineer's perspective, you believe we will see an increase in cost of production. Correct. I mean, the formula is simple. It's tons of CO2 produced divided by unit of production. So in order to reduce your intensity, which is the primary measure by which carbon emissions are measured on this net zero decarbonization goal, is you either increase the denominator or you decrease the numerator, right? In, so what, in the oil industry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And no, no. And, and what this all entails is you have to buy the carbon narrative at all. You go on a higher level. And and as an Alaskan, I don't know why we have to pay full freight to that narrative when we produce so little uh, emissions and there is no metrics uh, for us to follow. It, but the cost never ends, so the 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 the, the math is right. always wonky, and who's to pay, right? And it, and what I see is right. a, a humongous opportunity for people to come in on all these projects. If you want to say follow the money, but then we're left as the poor co-ops and the electrical people with all the whatever that does to us, and they don't know. I'm telling you, I go to the meetings, the board meetings too, and the outcome is not predictable because. They're just, they just want to enter it on a lot of suppositions. And that's all we see before the legislators when we see them go before the finance committee, as an example. They have no attending right. financial information, and then they go through the meeting as a matter of course, and they, they don't even ask about money or risk to, to us all. So I appreciate what you're doing, and I, I just uh, – to play that in there, I always got to say, well, what, what do Alaskans get for having to play carbon control? 
and I, I just think you're going to get the control and and the cost and to what avail, you know, to what what yep. what if we completely do with all of our energy here in the state and we all go back to mud huts, what would it do to uh, the global uh, uh, climate? You know, and I, I just they don't have an answer because they can't tell me if it's really going to snow tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. I mean, all of, for all of the money spent on all of these programs, there is still nobody that has been able to produce an actual measurable result of how much emissions has been reduced from the atmosphere, from the 0.04% that exists in atmospheric air, right? So, you know, when I look at that statement, and it kind of goes back to the whole business investment, right? If you go and you ask the bank, I need a billion dollars, but you can't, you know, explain to them what the return on investment is, they would laugh you out of there. And that's kind of what we're doing with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, with all of the decarbonization stuff that's in play. I mean, what we're hearing now, again, I've, I've literally had legislators tell me this. They recognize there's no climate crisis. There is no climate crisis. They recognize that. But they keep telling me the same narrative, which is if we don't allow this, nobody's going to come here and make investments They're, because the banks won't loan to them without yep. carbon Credits, legislation, board, anything dealing with carbon in general, carbon sequestration. And I would, I would turn that around, Ken. I think they won't come here and invest in the boondoggles of the great big battery storage units and all that. That's the problem that if we don't do, if we don't do this, they don't have all these big projects to go scoop up all the federal dollars. That's the money flow right there. I did want to ask Todd because we're running out of time. Yeah. Is uh, you what you're standing for and what you're running for? And, he, and Dan said the word Alaska Center. So where do you vary from your opponents that you wanted to tell people the reason and I, I would uh, that you would we need to come down there and make sure we get everyone to come vote for you? What do you vary for them? What, what's their policy on, what, versus yours? So the, the Alaska Center or I shouldn't say the Alaska Center, the opponents that I have who have received Alaska Center endorsements in the past, therefore, the decarbonization, therefore, uh, removal of the Eklutna Dam, therefore, looking at ways to incorporate larger sources of renewable energy, and this is, ties into the aggressive decarbonization goals. And where we differ is Dan and I both come at this from a very practical perspective to say, you know, we need to look at this on a long-term basis for reliability and affordability because that that's the mission, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look through the lens of economics and what's right for the business and the co-op, you know, may the best source win. If that can stand on its own, then let's pursue that. But we can't cut off our nose in spite of our face when we're saying that 82% of our fuel source comes from natural gas. Like that's a, that should be one of the main focus areas to understand what drives that, understand, you know, brings long-term value. And how do we protect that? Because we're looking at a reality where a lot of these policies may be in place and there may not be anything that we can do to unwind them. So we have to find a way to navigate for the best possible position of the rate payer. And so transparency and legislation has to be clearly understood with all the things you guys were talking about with House Bill 368, you know, with the uh, renewable portfolio standards, like where are those mechanisms for control and reliability at? Okay, we're running out of time, Guy. Do you have a fundraiser to announce or just go back to your website and that's what you have right now? Yeah, for now, it's vote org. 
You got it. And thank you so much for coming on today. It's very critical. Common sense thinking right there, Todd. Appreciate it. Yep. Honestly, it's a voice of reason right there. And a sea of emotional tumult, Rick Rydell used to say, right? (laughs) Thanks. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Hey, good morning, South Central Alaska. You've got Ken and Ken on the Tom Anderson Show. And uh, we uh, we already have a caller lined up that we needed to spend the valuable time, uh, Mr. Uh, Todd Smolden. And uh, uh, if I might, Ken, do we call you Todd? or Yes. Uh, can it, is it okay if I call yes. you Todd? <laughs> yes, gentlemen, please call me Todd, and I okay. will call you Ken, which is very easy because your name is the same. So Yeah, we, we'd like to have you on and talk about what, what's going on with the governor and, and uh, uh, just, uh, you know, the, the time's yours, sir, if, if you might. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, and uh, I'm uh, happy to ha- answer questions, too. So, um, you know, I, I'm listening to the show and i've heard you call into other radio shows so i know that energy is a huge you know issue for you important to you and it's important to me too um it's important to all alaskans i mean especially when it's minus 40 in willow um i my carbon uh, footprint's very large because i i burn wood so um but uh but yeah it's I guess my main, the things that I do for the governor are mostly education. Um, but uh, I actually wanted to just say, hey, you know, if you have questions, uh, go for it. Do you live in Anchorage, Todd? No, I live in Willow. Oh, I was just curious because I was here. I heard about that gentleman who had the uh, extra tax tacked onto, tacked onto his property because he had a wood stove in his home. So I was just curious if that affected you. I heard that as well. I I, I did. Uh, I think that's Joe who calls in sometimes. Um, and I don't. I've never heard of anything like that. Although, um, if it's in Anchorage, it wouldn't surprise me. No, me neither. I, I haven't heard of it either. But I, I'm not surprised, and I don't know what's what's more sad that I'm not surprised or that it's possibly happening. I can't confirm that or nail it down. But but uh, anyway, you said your background's in education. Yeah, I taught uh, public high school for 24 years, uh, mostly economics, also Japanese language, um, and also uh, taught English a little bit. But um, you know, I'm I. I guess what I would uh, I'm a little frustrated right now uh, with some things that have happened in the house um, with education. Um, I don't know if uh, people have been following that, but. The uh, the governor is proposing a much broader education reform uh, package or legislation, or at least the House was, and the governor was was happy with most of those pieces. Um, but so far, what's come out of the House is um, that there there are some decent things, but mostly it's just a, a large BSA increase, which. Um, as a teacher, I, whenever there was increase in funding, I never really saw that get directly into the classroom. So I'm not sure uh, that it will happen um, with, with this increase if that's what the Senate decides to do. Um, I still think that the governor will be looking for a much greater uh, reform you know, funding idea 
um, in order to approve that BSA increase. But we'll, we'll see what happens. What do you mean by reform, uh, Todd? Uh, when you when you say that, that's what gets my interest right away. What, what would you think that would mean? I mean, I don't know. I'm not on this subject. I think it'd be great to hear. Well, so one of the, I mean, things that everybody's aware of is, is our uh, terrible proficiency rates in Alaska um, compared to the rest of the, you know, lower 48. We're 48th, 49th. Um, I'm communicating with a an administrator in rural Alaska right now, and, and the proficiency rates of, you know, the math and 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 reading proficiency rates of the students in his school are less than 10%. So in in other words, 90% of his students read below proficiency, what is considered proficiency at their grade level. And But the one thing that we have noticed is that our charter schools, which are also public schools in Alaska, are number one. In fact, there was a recent study done by Harvard uh, and they looked at charter schools over a 10-year period, and Alaska's charter schools are performing uh, number one. Not only are they performing number one, but significantly higher than the next highest state. So the governor would like to see more you know, public school choice options mm-hmm. um, because we have limitations in our constitution as far as private school and funding. What do you and think that so is, that's, that's one area. Why, Why do you think there's such a separation between uh, charter schools and, and just generalized public schools in terms of their performance? It's uh, a common mission and a common goal. Uh, charter schools are started by educators and parents who come together and say, this is the curriculum we want to use. This is the overall theme we want to use. For example, in the Matsu, there's a school called American Charter. Mm-hmm. which their whole focus is kind of on, you know, the founding documents and, you know, using the founding documents and, and those, you know, that type of classical education as their foundation. Mm-hmm. And then all other education is wrapped around that idea of kind of a classical education and, and what America means, American exceptionalism. And exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a common... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, I'm sorry. I got got excited to ask you something. I apologize. That was poor form. <laughs> no, I can filibuster. So, you know, I'm a former teacher. So just, uh, yeah. Well, so what popped in my head that, that, that was important to me to ask right away. So we know it's separated in the, the results. And I hear it seems like there is a way through this. But we hear generalization on budget. Is And, and I, is there a way that we focus on the problem areas with less money to get more effect. Is that where you're speaking of earlier? I mean, or am I way off base here? Well, no, it's a political, it's a political problem. It's because the reality is, and this is what I, I find about, you know, talk radio and which I love listening to. And I listen to every local show. And while I'm working throughout the day, I, you know, I'm thankful for podcasts because I, I go back and listen to all the local radio. Um, but, um, but it's a political problem. If you, not you, but if we as Alaskans elect a legislative body that is convinced by the educational establishment that a BSA is, is the answer is the panacea 
Well, you have, I mean, you have to get enough votes, you know, 21 and 11 in order to move an agenda. And so this is part of the reason why the House combined a lot of these concepts, because in order to be able to give charter schools more freedom so that they can flourish, you have to have legislators who will get on board with that. And so what they want is a BSA increase. Um, It's, and so it's it's a it's more of a, a political problem than unfortunately, um, you know, l- just looking at what works and and going with that. <laughs> that, and, that stands for almost I, anything we're dealing the we're dealing with in the state, doesn't it? <laughs> the political yeah, problem. It's all it's twenty one and eleven. I mean, yeah. that that's that's what that's what we're always dealing with is twenty one and eleven. So, is that me? You know, I. Yeah, is go there, ahead. Is there a major again. monetary difference between what charter schools are getting, receiving, using versus general public schools? I mean, obviously charter schools are smaller, but other than that, why are they doing so much better beyond their ide- ideology? Yeah, I, and I agree with money? you. I think American Charter is a phenomenal <laughs> school. I think they've, the, uh, Ms. Huggins was a great principal. The principal that's there now is phenomenal. I think that the teachers there are very good. So, I find that you're right. The ideology, I want to agree with you in that. I find the ideology there of, of supporting America, the classic American ideology, is is literally in the bones of that school. And I think that's phenomenal. And I think that does help a lot and leads parents to want to participate more um, in, in that aspect. But monetarily, what's different between the two? So a charter school is able to retain 94, I think it's 94% of their you know, student funding. So whatever a regular, you know, based on their enrollment numbers, mm-hmm. um, there's an administrative administrative uh, fees, so to, so to speak, that's taken out. But charter schools also have to pay for their own facility, mm-hmm. whereas a, you know, like a neighborhood school, that facility cost doesn't come out of their school budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a little bit of a, a funding difference, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's all about ideology. It's all about mission. It's all about parent involvement and this common goal. And that can be done within a neighborhood school too, if you have a good administrator. Mm. Um, you know, the, the problem is, is that not all administrators are equally good. And when there's no accountability for poor for performance, mm-hmm. your only incentive is if you care about parents and students. Well, you know, let me say this. I had at one point children in American Charter, and I thought it to just be an incredibly uh, great school. The communication was top-notch. The people that were there cared. They listened. They communicated back and forth. There was a lot of verbose feedback, um, and, and there was just no DEI. You know, there wasn't – we weren't looking for equity. We were looking for great math scores. You know, we were looking for – good grades and how we could function better. And, and I, I think that that is something in my opinion, that's wholeheartedly missing in the public. This is the Tom Anderson show broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, seven to 9. AM Monday through Friday. Good morning. Thanks for uh, staying with us. I kind of screwed up there on the music. Uh, my finger slipped off the button. Todd, you want to finish your thought? Well, sure. I, I think we were just kind of talking about, you know, what what makes charters charter schools so 
successful versus neighborhood schools. And again, I think it's important for people to understand that charter schools are public schools and that they are started by educators and parents who come together over a common kind of goal or, or style of learning that they want to use. And it's, it's just so important for people. I would just say it's so important for people to be involved in their children's education. That's the bottom line. I think the difference between neighborhood schools sometimes and charter schools is that parents are actively involved. They are looking at what their children are learning. They are asking them questions. They know the teachers. I mean, the, the best thing you can do is just introduce yourself to the, to the teachers and, and, you know, let your children know that if they hear anything that seems odd or is counter to your own family's kind of worldview mm-hmm. to say something. And, yeah. and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's funny because right before you came on, we had Todd who's running for the Chugach board and it literally you're, you're parroting his very same ideology. And it seems to be a common theme in Alaska. Let the professionals who are in the industry make professional decisions instead of politicians in Juneau who are so far removed and disconnected uh, from the ideology or unions who are more monetarily driven. Uh, let, let the professionals make the decisions who know what they're doing or at least have a large set of input along with, you said parents, I'll say people, citizens, right? Uh, that That's kind of what's missing from it. It's almost, you know, uh, it, it has been perverted, in my opinion. I've get, I guess that's the best way for me to put it. So I, I would much rather see uh, parents involved. I would, I would really like to see the professionals who want to educate children who have a passion about something like that to be uh, a larger voice rather than, well, the unions don't want it or it's not popular in Juneau. You know, because in the end of the day, it's the citizens that have to take the brunt of any abusive policies that come downstream. And, and my children are going to be the next set of legislators and educators and so on in this state, right? If they even stay here for the economic reasons. Yeah, I, I think guys, uh, really, really good points. And, but part of what we need to do is make sure that we have professionals actually run for office. So <laughs> I, know that, I know that's difficult um, because those professionals own businesses, they have jobs, they, and, and, and all of that. But if, if all we have is, um, you know, retired educators or retired state employees or lawyers, um, you know, running for office, then we miss out on, on that perspective and that, and that expertise that we could really use for good legislation. Well, I just, just going in exactly what you said, like we've seen in the, on the national administration, they have people assigned, like, I'll go ahead and say it, uh, Granholm has no expertise or, uh, um, acumen and she's in charge of, you know, the energy and when it, all this money comes out and it's got all these, hooks and guidelines on how we're supposed to supposed to spend and and what we're supposed to do with it it goes all the way down to the local level and we see this money that everybody wants to go for on the federal money but it comes with all of those instructions and and requirements and and that was all driven by people that don't they're ideologues and not professionals so i see that todd thank you so much and uh Hope you have a great uh, weekend. Hope we're all not shoveling too much snow. It, it, I hope Willow gets away with a little bit. And uh, I love the water, but I don't like the white stuff. And thanks, thanks for visiting <laughs> with us today. Yeah.
You bet. And and thanks for uh, for keeping uh, Tom's dream alive here, gentlemen, and have a good weekend. You, you too. too. Thanks. Well, that was, uh, you know, I like that whole thought of the professional because when we see people in uh, commissioner spots, we see people in um, – in high levels position, I always look at them when they, when they get announced and, and say, what, what have you done in the past that deals with this? And when I was, we were listening to Todd and Dan, I find a lot of comfort there. They mm-hmm. know the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They know the, uh, the costs of these things. They know the risks involved. And I don't hear any of those kind of discussions in the committees, in the finance committee or the resource committee. And I, I we watch these things. And, you know, that's something that was, I wanted to comment on today. We watched the committee hearings. And the, the questions are uh, not pointed. They're not relevant to the discussion on how important these things are, what they're trying to do to our infrastructure. And then even when they do ask a question that's somewhat related on cost and risk and uh, to, to us, the answers that we get are kind of word salad mumbo jumbo that don't answer it. And they never get followed up on. And then they go to vote. And they think, well, it's been through a committee hearing, so it's it's valid for all all of us to vote on. And they and I think the process was messed up. We just never actually have for how important the things are that we actually have all of these answers detailed out. And and for instance, the other day in the finance committee on the carbon sequestration, they were joking about it again. We covered this uh, on Tuesday. They were they were uh, joking. Well, there's no. Uh, financial sheets attached to this and you're in the finance committee what they should have done is said yeah this is a great idea to have this meeting we're going through the motion we're going to shut it down and save a whole lot of money uh you guys come back here with some spreadsheets and show us what this is going to cost the state and what there's going to do to us maybe we can have a discussion until then please go away and try again well you said the key word you said risk risk is one of the biggest factors that we deal with because government has no meat in the game, in my opinion. When you're in the private sector, when you have professionals that are doing it, they're dealing with somebody's money directly. They have shareholders they're responsible to. They have people who are going to pull their investments and move over capital always flows towards profit, right? So there, there, there's no risk for the government. They can say whatever silly thing they want. They can uh, bring up anybody. doesn't matter if they're a fraudulent company where the CEO has to step down or they have a 90% fraud rate. He brought them up because they were free. Yeah. That's what the legislator told me. Instead, if you try to, if you, if Jamie Dimon did that, he'd be laughed out of his own office, yeah. right? He has to produce and there is risk on his end. Not only is his salary on the line, right? But so are all the shareholders and everybody behind him looking at every word he says. And if people don't have confidence, then they'll start pulling their money. <laughs> they'll start pulling their money. But it, you can have complete lack of confidence. A legislator can say any crazy thing that comes into their head, and they're voted in, and they get to stay there no matter what they want to do. And, they, and they're literally doing that with your rights, your money, and ideologies downstream. You think? Can you imagine how different this country was 150 years ago? But because we can't pull our money. That's right. And I find That's it offen- right. And I find it offensive that when I see the likes of Launch Alaska on social media saying, "Hey, everybody, we've been out here talking to your legislators and the governor about what our priorities are," and I want to think. Who are you? Can and now you have, by proxy, made us special interest as citizens, and you're the primary constituent that has the influence over our legislators and our governor. That's what I see when I see these things. I mean, it's the classic example of moral hazard, right? Government doesn't have to be responsible in any way, shape, or form because they can take your money at the, at the point of a gun, right? By law, legal plunder. They can legally plunder your bank account regardless of any silly thing that comes out. But Jamie Dimon, you have to give him your money. And he has to sell you on the yeah, idea. He can't and take it. He can't take your what, money. This is what Tucker Carlson said. He said yeah. that in politics, 
You should be using your position to sway me, not force me. There's a big difference in ideology there. And I think that you're seeing that in energy. Todd Smaldon just talked about that with school. He did. This is a rampant thing across the board. This isn't one area. It's everywhere because government's no longer at the point trying to sway you. They're not trying to convince you. Yeah, I see these words called mandates and requirements. And, and, uh, you know, when you saw the press release uh, about why – having carbon uh, installed in the state would allow us to do something. You know, that word allow is offensive. That that means you're either mandating your control, and it's just something none of us should put up with. That means the control's there. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree with that. You know, it, it it's just a whole different – I think what Todd said, too, about the schools was there's literally a different mentality behind everything when it comes to and, – and that mentality is far more successful on one side than another. And it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with what these people are trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And man, I can't tell you, I, I, I had children in American charter and I felt that directly. And I, and I, I, I see it and I connect with what he said because of the example that he gave. The fact is that's the difference between what we're doing here, right? I'm not telling you, I'm, right. I'm trying to convince you. I'm trying to change your heart. I didn't hear those discussions by the way. When they were talking about all this money down there in Juneau, I, I, all I heard was them talking about money. I didn't hear about process and, and, and uh, anything like that. That was what was disturbing to me. So, you know, uh, this has been a, quite a week, folks. And uh, I, I go on a little bit and I'd like to give my partner some time and let uh, I just go ahead, guy. Let's let's close out the show and, and uh, do it for us, please. I just want to say there's there's a lot going on in the world and we should remember to stay focused on God. And remember, at the end of the day, he's greater than evil. And we should use our power of prayer and our power to vote and community and connectiveness and, and, and be united and not divided. That united ideology is what gives us power. When we're divided, we're weak, easy to conquer. And I think that that is one of the most powerful things that we have. Heck yeah. That was great, man. I sure appreciate it. I appreciate the time with you, Ken, and I appreciate the time with you folks. And uh, maybe we'll see you back here again.